the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Gordon, how are things going this morning? Hi, Robert. Uh, yeah, I've had an okay morning. It's a wee bit drier than it was yesterday. Um, I've been making up some veg boxes for a new customer I've taken on. And then I was, uh, I don't know, an hour with a draining contractor that was out, you know, just looking at making some improvements to the farm, farm reservoir. Fine weather for draining, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> so you mentioned about veg boxes and things. Can you give us a bit of a description of, of what, who you are and what you do, what your business is? Yep. So I'm uh, I'm based on a farm on the Ayrshire coast, Duhill Farm, and I, uh, I rent some land on there for growing vegetables and rotating it around around the farm. Over the last 12 years that I've been in business, I've um, been supplying into, uh, you know, at the end customers, I've mainly been the restaurant, hotel trade, and as well as, you know, customers in their homes. But I've probably been going to the middlemen, like the wholesalers and the the retailers who are then, you know, uh, distributing it out to the to the individual customers. Um, so, yeah, that's been the kind of, how, how it's kind of evolved. Um, you know, I think when I probably when I started, I, I saw myself being more of a direct to direct to customer, but I quickly realized that was very time intensive. So it just, it wasn't really practical for me to, to try and do everything. So, so dealing with the, the, the wholesalers has worked better for me. It's certainly up, up to now. And I suppose you'll still have a an eye on by by working with wholesalers or smaller wholesalers. You've still got an eye on what the market still wants. You know what the consumer. You're not that far away from the consumer. No, that's right. Aye. So you're 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 uh, you're in, you can tell you can kind of tell uh, based on the previous couple of years. Um, I mean, the hardest year was the first year, knowing what to what would be required and what would be. What would what could be done? What could be what was possible to grow in Ayrshire, and and then and then every year you just refine it. in, in terms of, um, I mean, my biggest mistake at the start was probably saying yes to everything. You know, customers would come on and saying, right, can you grow sweet corn? Right, okay, I'll try it. And I would I'll go away and then can you grow courgettes? Right, okay. So I would go away, and I ended up just doing far too much. Um, mm-hmm. So. But anyway, I think you do that when you when you're when you're new into something. You've got that much energy. You just you just get, get into everything, and yeah. um, so it's only now I'm probably saying right, customer will come on and, and I'll just say point blank, right? No, look, this is what I do, and I'm, I'm a wee bit more confident now about what what I can do, you know, what I can do well, what kind of fits into the system, and and also what can actually be done at a profit as well because it's, it's it'd be quite easy to to make yourself busy in this job um but not actually make much money off it so it's just a bit kind of trying to pick the right things i suppose yeah i think what you're saying there's really interesting is at the start the start of anything you can't really base it on what your neighbors can do or what historically the area has done you know it's important to I think have a stab at things and and then see what you can do because it's not really about you know the biggest limiting factor to most of these businesses are the people in them rather than the land or the you know the area they're in it's it's about kind of making some of those mistakes but making sure making sure those mistakes aren't 
too costly that it busts you in the first year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose I think I was given some advice early on um, as well that said you'll never, your business will never fail because of, um, you know, investment in variable costs like like a different kind of seed or a different kind of way of fertilizing it. But you, you, you could, you could, um, fail your business by investing too heavily in overheads. So I was quite careful, um, and still am. You know, I don't I don't load myself up with with fancy kit really. And if I am if I am uh, buying new equipment, then I'm I try and go down every kind of avenue that there might be uh, with grants and. And, and funding that, that might and be out there. Um, see if you can get somebody else to pay for it. Hi, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, now, one thing we haven't really touched on yet is scale. Obviously, the high-value veg market is probably a bit different to what most new entrants have, have looked at. But what what scale did you start on and what are you farming now? So it started with, um, I think it was six or seven acres I had in the first year. Um, and that probably grew up steadily um, to about 43 acres last year. Um, and within that, over the, that equated to um, sort of three, well, I worked it out as 3.7 full-time equivalents. Uh, you know, there was people, there's more people in the summer and autumn months than there was in the, in the winter. But um, so, yeah, but about roughly about one person well, not including me, so so four, so, so roughly five people employed over forty acres of production, um, and and I think my, my, my sales target against that was to try and aim for five thousand pounds worth of sales off of every acre as an average. Um, so that's kind of where I was trying to. Um, benchmark myself because you know there's there's all sorts of benchmarking you can do if you're a beef or a sheep or a dairy farmer but doing what I do you just kind of have to make it up make it up for yourself and is that 5,000 of sales has that been a realistic benchmark is that something you could achieve you have achieved is it something that you could push further yeah so so some products are more are higher value than others um uh, there's a there's probably a sweet spot between uh, getting high value vegetables, but also ones that aren't too labour intensive to produce. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you kind of went down the the I don't know something like baby veg, baby vegetables are, are really high value, or micro herbs, or some of these things. You know, your uh, baby carrots or baby turnips, baby leeks. You know, they're they're very uh, high value and, and sought after by by the, the the kind of top the top end of the restaurant trade, but um, there's quite often a lot of wastage in growing them, and and they're very time intensive both to grow and to harvest and wash and prep grade and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, uh, as an average, it, it's it's been pretty realistic. Um, but there's certainly within that, there's there's ones that are more more valuable and, and ones that are less. But but the ones yeah. that are less are maybe less labour intensive, so you can still have a go at having a getting a return off of them. Yeah, when you look at the baby veg thing and the you know the labour that's involved in it, I was speaking to a, a lorry driver the other day actually, and he was telling me that the 
the way to be busy and make money is to find something that nobody else wants to do. And that's probably where the, you know, the, the baby veg and things, all that real labor intensive stuff is high value for a reason because it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's difficult to do. It does, and, yeah. It takes a lot of time out, yeah, out your yeah. day. Aye. So at Doohill, what, what crops are you growing? I know it's a long list, but what, what's in the ground at the moment? Um, so probably can I, if I could kind of group them into your, your your brassicas, what you would know as your brassicas or cruciferous veg. So that's like cabbage, uh, three different kinds of cabbage, um, cauliflower, three or three different kinds of cauliflower, broccoli, uh, sweet stem broccoli, kale. Kale's been such a, a big thing over the last five years. So, so both green green and red kale and cavallonero. And then in the winter, we've got some sprouts and kaleettes are a kind of a new kind of flower sprout, which which are uh, they're not that widely used, but they're the folk that like them generally really like them. So, um, so so that's a brassica type of edge. The the, the roots are beetroots, uh, red 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 golden and candy stripe beetroot, carrots obviously. Um, again, heritage varieties included in that. You've got purple and white and yellow coloured carrots. Um, alliums, I've got um, leeks and some onions, red and red and brown onions, which are uh, which I don't I don't grow them in any great quantity, but they're they're good for um, the few customers that I'm doing boxes and and farmers markets for. And finally, I grow a bit of rhubarb and. Parsley grows quite well here as well. Flat leaf and curly parsley. What an amazing list of uh, different challenges and uh, opportunities there, isn't it? It's a, a huge variety of crops. And do you grow Israeli potatoes in the mix too? Well, the, that that's probably you've touched probably on the relationship I've got with my landlord there. Um, so you know, potatoes have been growing at Duhill for over a hundred years by the Crawford family and um, I, I kinda, I'm the kind of uh, farm guy, I suppose. So uh, him and I, Jay and I have got a, a relationship which works quite well and and I can support him and, and his potato business if required, um, whether that be spraying or planting and or irrigating or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he leaves me to, to do what I do. Uh, in the veg as my own as my own business yeah yeah so i think that's quite an interesting point to come to in this is the relationship with jay and that's basically how you got got your start how you how you got going so do you want to maybe explain wh- what that relationship is or, or how it uh, what it is and how it came about yeah, I mean, it's probably founded on on the basis or on the principle that we both need each other. Um, there's 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 probably not enough of it being formalised, even though we keep talking about getting it formalised. But I suppose we've got an awful lot of trust in each other, and um, so so I, I I need the land. I need somewhere that I can sort of base my business from and have the land and the climate that's suitable for what I'm wanting to do. Um, Jay, was, Jay was looking for the, the, the produce for his, his retail side of his business. So he was wanting the fresh produce that, that he, can, he can market. 
through his, through his uh, outlets, the farm shop and, and and others. And so so that that's where the kind of the the, the two the, the two kind of needs were, were both met. Um, so it certainly didn't it, it started it's quite a kind of loose agreement and until we kind of got a couple of years down the line and then we actually started having a, a partnership business which um so, so what i haven't mentioned in the on do hill there's also some cereals growing about 100 and something 120 acres of cereals which we do that as a joint business where we have we're, we're both equal partners in that that business and and that's quite useful because that that business generally carries all the big um, the big costs like the like the plow, the plow arrow, the the forklift, the the you know the, the main plowing and, and tractor, um, and just other things, insurances and stuff like that, fuel bill. So that 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 kind of suits both of us because we we both get the use of that machinery, if you like, and mm-hmm. um, and probably would individually would. Just- struggle to justify all of that aye yeah um, I suppose aye and yeah yeah, yeah that, it's, it's probably a, there wouldn't I can't imagine there's many other relationships like ours but it, it certainly works for us so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's been on the go for how long now um, I probably about, probably about 10 years now yeah yeah so um, you're still technically a new entrant, but you're well well established oh, now. I'm, a, I'm definitely not. A, I'm an old an old new entrant or a veteran or whatever you want to call it now. I, I think it's still the, the challenges there, though. The um, establishing your own business is it's a long, long job. You know, it's probably probably a lifetime's work to to really establish a a full blown big agricultural business. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, th- I mean, I don't underestimate any any challenge that any business owner or business business is facing. You know, it, it's it's quite liberating having been having something new. You know, you're not you're not tied into traditions of of a particular breed or or having a a particular milk and parlor that you feel you have to use or you know it's when you start something with with really nothing nothing before it then you know there's nothing that that you become really emotionally tied to so i find that you know it's it's quite easy for me just to say right i don't like doing this anymore i'm just going to stop it whereas uh-huh. if if that was if that was if i was one of maybe three or four partners that wouldn't be very easy to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um, you know, there's it's certainly horses for courses, and I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. As of course, it's difficult running any any new business or 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 a, or a new business, but I certainly don't uh, think it's, you know, if if you've got an established business there, you've maybe got legacy issues to deal with, mm-hmm. um, which maybe one the any of you are doing, but you've been kind of handed them, and 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 you have to have to sort them out as well. So, yeah, yeah. Not easy. Um, the I suppose currently we're, we're looking at a pretty massive a global issue, COVID-19 pandemic, and it's interesting to see how exposed different businesses have been. So obviously, you know, from beef, sheep, dairy-wise, conventional agriculture or conventional Scottish agriculture has been 
that's in a fairly strong position throughout this. But your business is closer to the general public, closer to the hospitality sector, particularly. Has you know how how have you been impacted by COVID? Um, right. So so yeah, probably sixty to seventy percent of my business has been towards the hospitality trade. So um, yeah, that 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 immediately was impacted. Um, so in, in, in some ways, I'm quite glad I had those other customers that were retail and mm-hmm. they have kept me kept me going and, and a lot of them have, have grown um, at the time at the time when COVID hit. Uh, but uh, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the timing of it was such that I was actually just coming to the end of my season in March. So uh, I was just kind of running out of veg. There's a kind of lean, a lean uh, called the Hungry Gap, I suppose, in, in the whole, most of the UK produce uh, between kind of March, April, and May, where there's very little homegrown fresh produce available, other than the kind of long-term stored potatoes, turnips, and carrots, and things like that. So it 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 kind of it kind of hit me at that time when I, I didn't have a lot to market anyway. Um, but coming coming back out of it, um, it was it was kind of like well, actually, at the beginning of it, I agonised over what to grow. Uh, you know, for the remainder of this year, I even I even thought about not planting anything and just taking a sabbatical or doing something like that. And because um, uh, you know, if if you haven't spent the money, you can't lose it, type thing. So um, it was it was really difficult to know what to what to grow this year. So I ended up kind of reducing my overall acreage by about a third, and and I tweaked some of the different lines, some of them less, some of them about the same and uh, I've kind of had a stab at it but you know actually since since sort of June and July when I've started it's been amazing how, how much trade has picked back up so um, I can't really complain the, the dine out to help out thing and there's a, yeah. there's a lot of folks doing staycations and eating out and actually hopefully the hospitality sector does have a right a really good autumn and hopefully, you know, for the the not for your sake, but hopefully you haven't planted enough. You know, hopefully there's demand yeah, for absolutely for yeah. stuff. So um, demands there, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So um, yeah, a matter of cutting your cloth to suit it, and I suppose that's where your business it's an annual. You know, you, what you plant in the spring, you harvest throughout the rest of the year. So you've got that yeah. chance to make changes. It's not like you're reliant on a herd or a flock. That's you know to always a turning away stock in the background you can be a bit flexible yeah i hadn't actually thought of that but yeah no you're right if that had been a, a more of a a, a livestock based uh, sort of if i was retailing uh, you know meat to, to to restaurants or something like that it would have been a bit more difficult to put the brakes on so mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's a good point yeah so again if we've almost we've got a, i suppose a line in the sand haven't we? we've got covid here hopefully we see an end to that in the in the near future but where does the what does the future hold for for your business where there's obviously some of that might be secret you know you don't have to tell us at all but uh, are you looking to change things into the future or do you just work away as normal um i mean it has been has been it certainly has been a time to to stop and and assess, uh, you know what 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 we're all doing, what's working, what what, what is it that you enjoy, 
um, and what is it that's kind of kind of meaningful? Um, uh, or, or, I mean, f- from my side, it's 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 a reasonably small business um, in, in, in the serial acreage as well. It's not it's it's, it's a reasonably comparatively small amount of acres. Um, so I'm, I suppose against that backdrop, I don't see myself as ever kind of trying to um, scale up. You know, the, the, the opportunity to scale up is is, is, is not easy anyway. But, um, you know, to, 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 to grow more spring barley, for example, or, or, or winter wheat or, you know, that, that unless you're doing that in any grand scale where you've got low unit costs then then that's certainly producing commodities isn't something that really interests me um, it's something that, that we do on the land to to keep it in good heart and and to make sure that the rotations are all all uh, beneficial for the farm um so so i would say and I, there's actually some of the vegetable crops that i grow which are really commodities as well um so i would probably see myself distancing myself from some of those products where where you know like like um kind of main crop carrots broccoli cauliflower these are all things that are growing uh you know there, there's huge demand and, and there's some massive growers out there um who are absolutely first class efficient um you know doing absolutely everything right and they've got it down to a t um so you know there's, there's a there's a lot of big players out there who are, who are able to to kind of create a, a, a real value product for the the customer you know a good quality product but it's also quite low cost to themselves yeah yeah and they've driven down the price and scaled it right up so yeah yeah and and that's you know there's a clear demand for that um so that's probably not the route that i'm going to go um well it's 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 not it's not the route that i'm going to go um so it's really about finding these either uh, i mean this is where the you know when you when when running a business this is when the the route to to the market is so important and it's and it's so important to get that right at the beginning um and 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 kind of stick to your guns almost because i have been guilty of um of probably been lured into trying to you know remember uh, i remember early on i was i was i was growing leeks and growing leeks well and i would be i don't know i'd be doing about a ton or two a ton a week or something like that and I was just thinking, no, I need to get these costs down because of the labour cost. And and I went out and bought a, a leak harvester from Belgium. And I'm like, oh, this will be great. And of course, it, didn't, it took a few months to get here. I arrived in November. I got it, got it rigged up. And it took, you know, it took a couple of days to get it to fit the machine, to fit the tractor, etc. Um, and of course, I went down, I went out to the field and it was pouring with rain the ground's saturated and and it was a disaster you know complete you know you could see the ruts that i'd left and and that but that was just me i suppose trying to uh, become a scale producer but realizing hold on a minute we're in ayrshire uh, it's november you know what, what, am I, what am i doing here so 
So if anybody wants to buy a second-hand leak harvester, we know who to contact. Aye, well, I got it away, actually. I mean, it sat, it sat uh, for a, a couple of years, I think it was, and then uh, I got it away, thankfully, but not, certainly didn't get as much as what I paid for it. Um, but anyway, it, yeah, that, that, you know, you make these less, you make these mistakes and you learn that, you know, what, what, and then you, you come back to yourself and say, right, what, I can't do that well or I can't do that at scale, but what can I do? So I think it is, it's more about um, having a short supply chain with a customer, um, taking out all those intermediate costs and growing some of the, the more of the niche veg that, are, that the, 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 the large scale producers, you know, are probably less suited to. So like the, like the heritage varieties of carrots and beetroots and cauliflowers that, that I grow and people, okay, you know, appreciate. Um, so, so yeah, that, that is the, that is the, the um, I would see, I would see myself enjoying that as well, you know, uh, that's rather really than, yeah, I mean, growing barley for, you know, growing barley or growing broccoli, you know, for, for a commodity price at the end of the day, there's, you know, nobody's really caring who grew it or where it came from. It's it's just a mm-hmm. it's just a, as a commodity. It's like an undifferentiated good. Um, so I'm I'm trying to create a difference, uh, or or at least a perceived difference. Um, something that's locally grown, and and that people are prepared to to pay something that that that, that suits me. And, and yeah, it's a really really interesting point and one that. You know, as an industry, we all need to look at as the, you know, commodity wise. So every, you know, all bets are off at the moment, Brexit wise and global trade and things. And no matter how big you are in this country, you're not going to be in a position to compete with on a, you know, on the on the global scale or you're unlikely to be able to compete on the global scale. So for most of us, it really is about getting closer to your consumer and, and telling a story and not being afraid to tell a story so it's it's interesting to hear you know your thoughts and that you've built your business in the last 10 years pretty much with that in mind yeah um i just i just feel there's there's so much there's so much wrong with our food system um you know if, if you're to if you're to look at what scotland's got or, or the uk's got in terms of climate soil the ability to grow grass, everything like that, you know, you wouldn't end up with a food system that was dominated by, you know, carbohydrates and, and, you know, not enough, not enough veg and, and, and uh, probably not enough red meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I would like to be part of, I would just like to be part of what the future is going to have to look like. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we, we, I just feel that we're, we're, we are feeding a lot of our, uh, grains and cereals to animals, which could either be uh, eaten by ourselves or 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 give the animals more grass or something like that. Um, so, I, I, and I would like to have a, I would like my business to be not affected by a surplus of wheat in Russia, for example. Yeah. You know, if you know, I would rather that, that I just had a fixed price with with some customers in my geographical area that I can work towards and, and it's never going to spike up or it's never going to drop down and uh, and, and, and that suits me and the customer hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that for me that's a far more kind of fulfilling way to 
to to be than yeah. than just to kind of play the commodity markets. And and what's interesting there is pre-COVID, we were probably as far away from that as we've ever been. But for a while there, farmers were needed. Food was food was brought into pretty sharp focus. It was the the one thing that we need every day. And actually, you know, a, a local production and and people doing a good job near at hand. They were, aye, they were appreciated. They yeah. were appreciated, but I just as it's quite saddening that that, that it's not been uh, followed on from. You know, that has waned away all of that. I mean, it was yeah. never going to it was never going to be retained at, at the peak that it was. But um, yeah. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting times anyway, isn't it? It's, yeah, um, tricky. Um, so, Gordon, you've mentioned that being close to your consumer or supplying what your consumer really is is wanting is very important to you. Um, there's now obviously climate change is becoming more and more of a an issue, more and more of a um, in the public eye as well. Is that something? Climate change has that altered the way you're farming? Has it? You know, and, and is it a potential, even a you know a, a marketing opportunity for you as well? Yeah, so um, absolutely. I mean, in terms of what 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 my future story is going to look like, or what I hope it looks like, it's 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 more about uh, resilience. Farm resilience has become it's really shot up. Uh, what's important? Um, even last night there was floods in certain parts of Scotland. Uh, you know, and that's us in the end of August. So, um, so I, I'm I'm sort of challenging myself and challenging the way I do things uh, in terms of um, that, that, that what's what's going on in the fields. So. Um, I read a, a book. I don't know if you've read this one. Um, it seems to be have had been quite a bit of traction recently. It's called "Dirt to Soil." It's written by an American guy, Gabe Brown, and 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 that's that's a real is a real good starting point. I was given it uh, by a neighbour who's who's really into regenerative farming, and and that kind of started me thinking um about about how we're doing things and 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 um so so things like you know pretty much Doohill has been more or less stockless for 20 years and i would say that's that's really starting to tell um just continuous cultivation so so last year we i spoke to a, a again i collaborated with a neighbor a neighboring dairy farmer and and asked him if he would if, if, if I was to plant a cover crop after a cereal, um, if he would bring some cattle in to, to winter graze it. Um, and then they also, you know, put some bales in the field so that, you know, it was all electric fenced off and they moved the electric fence uh, and the ring feeders up along the field. But that, that was all about... Um, you know, one of the five principles that Gabe Brown talks about is introduce livestock. I mean, probably for the most of the folk, most farms in Scotland that are mixed or livestock, you know, that's not a problem. That you know, they've got the livestock and they're already doing it. But um, it's, it's actually quite a big leap for us to to, to reintroduce livestock into the system. So, um, so yeah, that's that's one thing that we're doing. Other things are. Are to minimise the cultivations. So, if if with if with 
you know, we don't automatically plough everything. Um, if we think there's another way of doing it, whether that be uh, a, a low disturbance drill or a or just disking it rather than than ploughing it, um, we, we do look at. We don't just automatically reach for the plough and the power harrow because generally that is when we see the most soil erosion. Is when we've used uh, a, a real heavy tillage sort of establishment. A solution, so um, that, you know it does. It's not a good look when when you see sort of um, paths, we we trails running down a sloped field. So I'm trying to get away from that uh, where I can. Um, but I suppose the you know you asked about you asked about marketing that and 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 getting that putting a value in that. Um, I, I really don't think we're there yet. Um, so. I, I have put one field uh, just just in the last few months actually into the organic conversion process, um, and that will be for vegetables primarily. Um, and and for me, it's 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 a wee bit like um, it's it's a brand. See, if you see organic produce, that's a, that's a brand in itself, and. I just feel that that will allow me to to try some of these regenerative agriculture techniques and get a return from it from the marketplace. So, uh, because currently th- there's no real way of monetizing, you know, the the the, the extra or the extra thought that goes into farming regeneratively rather than than not, I suppose. So I'm I'm interested. I'm I'm absolutely a complete novice at at, at it, at both organic and regenerative. But I'm I'm interested in it, and and it's actually quite enjoyable to to do. You know, it, I would like to think the next ten years are going to be a lot different from my last ten years, and and it would be pretty boring if it was the same as the last ten. To be honest, so I'm quite interested and I'm enthused by by the, the fact that like wow what what might we be doing on you know 10 years time um so because uh, it's going to be a different a different world we're in isn't it it's that there are yeah, enough I mean, challenges in front of us that the the situation is going to be a different we're being a different position in 10 years time without a doubt yeah well mm-hmm. covid's here and that is the biggest issue rightly so of the day but but mm-hmm. the climate change thing is 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 the, probably the second biggest and it's not it's not going away yeah um, and the other one that you know we've we've all stopped talking about is Brexit, and and in this case it actually brings potentially brings you know it's a different agricultural policy that's going to come, and it looks like a more environmentally sensitive agricultural policy. So it may be that we're pushed down some of the direction that you're heading already, anyway. So yeah, it sounds that way, doesn't it? Um, it sounds like I mean, there's it's absolutely. Um, from what I can gather, it's not going to be prescriptive, but it'll be certainly like it'll be like um, some some aspects will suit suit our farm, but um, you know things like maybe minimal disturbance or or introducing livestock. But some some other farms are already doing that anyway. So they, you might find that, especially in a mixed farm, you know if 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 if, if you've got cattle, sheep, and 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 uh, and uh, some some cereals, you're you're probably ticking most of the boxes in terms of having a, a climate resilient farm already. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one, and, and as a beef consultant, I make no apology for beating the drum in favour of a uh, our red meat industry. But 
it's interesting hearing all the negatives that, you know, basically it's all a ruminant's fault. That's why we're in the situation we're in. And then the only solution is to graze things with ruminant animals. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all about balance, isn't it? And we're probably, in in all cases, in arable situations and in livestock situations, we've probably got that balance wrong. Um, the, the, the pure arable areas are really struggling for organic matter and, and the intensive livestock areas are, are really struggling because they've got too much dung and slurry. So it's... Yeah. And um, it's becoming over, you know, the, almost the the sort of soil fertility is at kind of maximum. You know, it doesn't need it doesn't need more slurry and more dung spread on it. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's probably right enough. And the stock is all in the wet areas, and the crops all in the dry areas, which make you know it's, it's even worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, you know, red meat for me is is just such a, a win win, and and I would like to. You know, I'd like to sort of see more livestock on on the farm here. Um, it's going to take a bit of investment in, in fences and things like that, but uh, hopefully over time that that's something that we can do. And um, yeah, and, and it will certainly help. It will help the farm anyway um, yeah. for, for for future generations. So, Gordon, you've been a new entrant. You've been farming for. 10 or so years what advice if you've got somebody if you are speaking to somebody just now who is just about to start off with some form of venture in, in farming what advice would you would you give to them uh, to a prospective new entrant um what would i say um something that you enjoy um something that you've got some technical skill at whether it's um you know whether you're good with machinery or whether you're good with 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 livestock stockmanship, or or you know whether you're you're good at growing, you know. So you definitely need you need those two things uh, before you start. Um, what else? Um, don't don't load yourself up with with big overhead costs that are going to. You know, you certainly need something. You need, you know, you need you need infrastructure. Um, but you know, just go around and, and source what you can where you can, rather than tie yourself up into a, a five-year or a ten-year loan or something for a tractor mm-hmm. um, or something that you, that you could get a, a weird one or a, an older one that would do much the same job. And and really, I touched on this earlier, but the get. You know, you have to get this route to market. That's the that for me is something that I probably still spend the most time ag- agonising over. If I've if I've got it right, and, I, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I've not still not got it right. Um, but it's just about uh, if if you're if you're going down the the kind of the the undifferentiated commodity kind of selling your produce at the market, for example, or selling your produce to a grain merchant or whatever it might be, if you're going down that route, then you, you just need to be as big as everybody else or as as um, you know efficient as everybody else because the market will not reward you um, for, for just a, an, an undifferentiated product. Um, I mean, I think in terms of marketing of my produce, uh, this is somebody that something that someone else again told me. I, I do. I, I've got a lot of mentors round about me, and I, I listen to people. But said there's, there's kind of two ways of of marketing your produce. Um, one is to develop your own brand, or the other one is just to piggyback on someone else's. Um, 
the one if you want to develop your own brand, that is going to take a lot of of your probably time and resources, um, and and it will be expensive to to get that brand as a known a known brand. Or if you if you want to piggyback onto what, what someone else does or someone else is successful, and you know accept a lower margin. Uh, for 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 your produce, but but that you've not all got all the all the hassle and all the costs of 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 building a brand. Um, but that, that you know that's different for everybody. Everybody's. I mean, I'm I'm not that. For me, uh, I'm I'm probably quite happy to be in the and not in the spotlight. So um, I'm quite comfortable not having my my own sort of branded produce out there. Um, as a, as a kind of customer-facing thing, but uh, I'm quite happy to to support other successful, growing businesses around about me who are good at the marketing and good at all the Facebook and and all that side of it. Um, that you know, but I suppose I might be contradicting myself here because until about a year ago, I have I have increased my kind of social media presence a bit, and I'm, and it's it's not been out my comfort zone, but. I kind of felt it was becoming too big a thing to have to have nothing at all. So, um, but yeah, but that that has been good. I've enjoyed that. That has been quite interesting. It's not been it's not been uh, easy, I suppose. But uh, for somebody who kind of prefers not to be in the forefront, but yeah, um, I think though in, in in all businesses, getting out your comfort zone every now and again is pretty important you know it's a good it stretches you and challenges yeah, you a bit and that's amazing where it takes you yeah it does yeah it does things have come along um and presented themselves to me that, that would never have happened had i not had i not had some kind of presence out on on social media platforms so that is amazing what, what can come of it yeah 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 no, that's a, that's been excellent really really interesting and hopefully lots of good points to to take away and yeah, I'm sure Gordon is always keen if somebody's wanting to discuss or, or get involved with what Gordon does. I'm sure he'd be uh, glad to hear from you as well. So with that, I've, I'm conscious the sun has come out in Ayrshire just now. So it's I'm, probably Gordon has got plenty of other things to do. So we'll leave it at that for today. And uh, yes, hopefully you've enjoyed listening to what Gordon's had to say. Thank you very much.